Hope has a name. I have victory. Isn't that great to know that our victory, our hope, is not in ourself, but it's in our Savior Jesus Christ. And we know that no matter what goes on in our lives in this world, we have that hope. And that is an ongoing hope that never ends. It is a hope that you and I are 100% certain of. So praise the Lord for that great hope. You know, uh, we've been working our way through this book in 1 Peter, and it's been a challenging book. And, you know, sometimes Satan tries to get in the way of what God wants to do. And... um, Last two weeks, for some reason, I've gotten some form of electronic communication just before the morning services to start, and they have, you know, discouraging kind of things that I think Satan is trying to use to prevent his word from going forth. So as we get started this morning, let's just stop and pray and ask God for his word to go forth as powerfully as it always does when he is at the heart and the center of our communication from his word. So let's pray together this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we calm ourselves before you and we ask for your spirit to give us the strength and the hope and the guidance uh, and just the ability to communicate your word. Uh, Father, it is our desire not to communicate our own thoughts and our own opinions, but as we uh, interpret God's word and we communicate God's word, uh, Father, we want it to be your word that goes forth as it is preached, and not the words of men, not our thoughts, not our opinions, not, uh, what, not an agenda that we're trying to uh, accomplish, but Father, may it be your word that goes forth because your word is what is sharp. Your word is what is powerful. Your word is what changes our lives, changes our hearts. And Father, if we let your word do what your word can do, it gives us peace, it gives us hope, it gives us an understanding, it gives us an ability to continue to move on for your honor and for your glory. Uh, Father, one of the messages yes, uh, over the men's adventure period was, how, uh, uh, was about young Josiah who was king and as he was uh, having given orders to clean up and get the temple ready so the people of Israel could worship again, they found the book of the law. And what a transformation that made in Josiah's life. What a transformation it made in the lives of the people of Israel. Father, your word can do what only you set it out to do. We, we can't twist it. We can't, we can't use it to try and accomplish man's agenda. But you can use it in our lives to accomplish your will and your plan for our lives. So thank you so much for that. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, who teaches us and leads us and directs us. And then we ask for that to happen this morning as we again open your word and we look at your word together and we study it together and we put it into practice in our lives today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs) Have you ever had somebody say to you, that's not fair? Never. (laughs) Yesterday, when I was wearing this 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 Mets hat and this Mets jersey, I'm thinking to myself, this is not fair. This is not right. And there are so many things that went through my mind that I could have said or done, but you know what? I went along with it. I played because I knew Elijah had a purpose and he wanted to communicate something from God's word. And as much as I didn't like it at that moment in time, and it had nothing to do with spiritualness or the biblical ideas that were being communicated, it just had to do with the fact that he put me in a Mets hat. 
At least it was David Wright's jersey. I mean, it could have been, it could have been a worse jersey than that. But anyway, I'm thinking to myself as I think back, that's not fair. Why would you do that? Uh, you know, and there's more serious things that we end up saying that's not fair about. And maybe you've said that, maybe this week you've said that, maybe you said that today. I just thought it in my mind as I got that message that I was reading before the service. Maybe I should learn not to read things before church service, and that might be uh, a good thing uh, to, to uh, keep my mind calm before the service begins. But you know, we say, that's not fair. Why did they do that? How would they do that? What in the world is going on in their lives? That's not fair. Maybe you've seen something like this go on in your world recently. So at AT AT&T, everyone gets our best deals. Are others doing that? Others say that, but not everyone gets the best deal. Like, what if I give you a lollipop? Then I give you our best lollipop. That's not fair. That's not fair. How in the world can I get such a tiny lollipop and my bigger brother gets this huge, massive lollipop? That's not fair. Eventually, she gave the little girl a big lollipop, so she was trying to make things fair after all. But you know, this complaint comes in all sorts of life situations, doesn't it? I remember in eighth grade, I had taken a a big English test in, in class. The test was made up of two parts. 60 points worth of multiple choice questions, and then 40 points on the essay. And it was only one essay. You had to write about characterization, and, and, and I can't even remember the exact wording of the question, but it said, use the story that we, the book that we just finished reading, and develop characterization and label the parts of characterization. So I wrote this essay, and I thought I did pretty good. At the end of the, I turned my paper in, I thought, man, I might have aced this ch- test. I was really confident that I did well on the exam. So you know how it goes. A couple days later, I get my test back. Out of 100, I scored 60. I was not happy. And as I'm reading through the test, I see that I got 100% on the multiple choice and zero on the essay. And I was like, wow. Because you know that means I failed the test, right? 60%, at least in those days, wasn't passing. Okay, um, and so uh, the teacher then gave us some seat work, and she said, "If you have any questions, please come up and talk to me about questions on your test." And she had written on my on the top of my test, very well written essay, but you forgot to label the points of characterization. So I got up and I went to her desk and I put my test down on her paper on her desk, and I said, "Hey, I said I don't understand. No points for this essay." She said, "No, because you didn't follow the directions. You didn't label characterization." I said, but you said it was a very well-written essay. Uh, it is a very well-written essay. And, and you covered every part of what characterization is. You just didn't label it. And I said, so you give me a zero? And I mean, I, probably everybody in the class could hear me. Um, and so I went back, and I should have sat down in my chair, but I didn't sit down in my chair. I slammed my chair into the desk, and one of my classmates says, what's the matter? I said, oh, she gave me a zero for something I didn't deserve a zero for. And she says, Mr. Mowers, can I see you out in the hall? And I said, sure, let's go. So we went out in the hall, and she proceeds to try and justify her zero on the essay. Now, she's the teacher. She can do whatever she wants, right? I guess. I mean, that's, you know, it just didn't seem fair to me 
Because she said it was a very well-written essay. You covered all the parts. You just forgot to label it. Okay, so take off something for not labeling. Don't give me a zero. So anyway, my mom made an appointment. She went in and she, of course, my mom took my side. Um, and, and so uh, her name was Mrs. Christ. And Mrs. Christ then became my most unfavorite teacher ever in the history of teachers. Because it wasn't fair. I just didn't understand how she could do that. And, you know, so we complain about things that are not fair. And you know what? All my complaints, all my uh, antics to try and get her to change her mind didn't change her mind at all. I still ended up with a 60 on that exam. And so um, we have to understand sometimes in life, it's not fair. Or at least from our perception, it doesn't seem fair. And that's kind of where our text takes us this morning. Would you stand with me as we read together? First Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. First Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. As we read this text, let me suggest that this passage is interpreted by most theologians in the context of the work environment, because we don't really have slavery going on in our world, well, in our, in our country at least, the way that it was going on in the early New Testament church and in other parts of history, even our own history. Okay, while slavery is very common in the early church, it's not. It wasn't. It's not so common in our world today. Let me just add a statement about slavery. In the Bible times, slavery never comes out, or the Bible never comes out and condones or condemns slavery. Okay, uh, the Bible talks about slavery, and, and we have, we're going to do some studying and try to figure out what slavery is all about. But Gavin Ortland writes this. Um, he writes for the Gospel Coalition, and he says, When we read verses like Ephesians 6.5, Colossians 3.22, and 1 Peter 1.18, we hear the common English translation slave in light of our own historical context. We typically think of race-based chattel slavery in which the slave is the property of the master and lacks any legal rights. This kind of slavery, and I think we would all agree and put an exclamation point at the end of it, this kind of slavery is manifestly among the most despicable institutions ever to disgrace human civilization. It is not, however, what is in view in these texts. Okay, so as we work our way through this text this morning, let's not use our own preconceived ideas of what slavery is, but let's try to figure out what what it was in the context of the day in which it was written. Here's one thing before we read the passage that is clear in Scripture, that God says all men were created in the image of God. So whatever slave or free, we must treat one another as having been made in God's own image. When we do that, when you and I treat others as though they are made in God's image, we will give them love and respect and we will always seek what is best for them, regardless of their current condition in this world. Okay, so that's, that's our goal as Christians, to treat one another with love and respect as though they are, because they are made in the image of God. Read together with me 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Servants... Be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Can we put in there right there? That's not fair to the good and to the harsh. Verse 19, for this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. 
For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return, when he suffered he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges rightly." who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live to righteousness by whose stripes we were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Father, again, we ask your blessing upon our time in your word this morning, knowing that your word is what you expect us to live life by. Help us to do that. Help us to learn from your word today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So again, Peter is continuing in this same theme over the last couple of weeks. He's talking about this idea of submission, okay? And and I get it. Submission kind of grates on us, doesn't it? Uh, We don't necessarily want to submit to those who we are supposed to submit to, even if we don't like submitting to, you know, because we don't like the personality, we don't like the, uh, what they represent, but sometimes we have to submit. I remember I was telling Jack just last week that uh, I used to work at an office supply store over in Norwich, okay, and the lady hired me, uh, she found out that I worked for a big company up in Messina, or, you know, covered all of the north uh, North Country and down all the way to Watertown, uh, and and so she said, "You work for Sullivan's?" I said, "Yeah." She said, oh, "I want I'm, I want to hire you because I want you to help me make this place like Sullivan's." So I I said, "Okay, I'll take the job." So I, and then I, she hired me, and I called Tommy Sullivan, and I and and put him on speakerphone. We talked about some things and all this kind of stuff, and and so she takes me downstairs in the receiving area in the basement. They had a little elevator that went up and down to bring heavy stuff up. She said, Tim, this is your area down here. You can do whatever you want with this to make it work better. Now, the biggest thing that we sold was paper. Now, and when we sold paper in those days, you got 10 reams of paper to a box, not five. Okay. So the paper was not necessarily light. It was kind of heavy. And so they had it all the way back in the back of the basement uh, in a dark place and, and just was kind of not convenient to have paper back there when that was the thing that you were taking out all the time. So they had this side, you know, walk down the stairs and there was this uh, area of shelves and there wasn't a lot of stuff in those shelves. So I thought to myself, ah, you know what? This is my area. I'm going to move all the paper from the back wall to here where it's closer to the elevator and uh, put the white paper first because that's what we sell the most of and then in order of color by the way we sold it. So it took me all morning and part of the time after my lunch break to do all of this. She comes downstairs and she says, what have you done? I said, I just moved the paper. Makes sense to me to have the biggest product that we move through the store up front where it's easy to move, it's easy to get hold of. The stuff we sell the most of is closest to the elevator. Just makes sense to me. I don't like it. Put it all back the way it was. That's not fair. Besides, you told me this was my area. 
You see, in life, in work situations, sometimes things aren't fair. Sometimes we don't like it. Sometimes we don't want to submit. You know what I did? I put it all, away, all back. Just the way she had it. She comes back down. That's, more, that's much better. That's whatever the proper English terminology is. I know it's not more better, but that's better. The way it should be. Because that's the way she wanted it. So even though it wasn't the way I wanted I submitted to what she wanted. I didn't stay there very long, by the way. Um, but anyway, uh, that's the way it worked in her place. She was the boss. She was the owner. She wanted it her way. Okay, that's fine. It's her way. Uh, but I had to submit to that if I was going to stay working and, and, and making money so I could supply for my soon-to-be growing family at the time. Okay, um, so what is the responsibility of the child of God when things aren't fair in life? As I said, Peter's keeping the same thing of submitting. And uh, last week when we started talking about that, we mentioned that this is kind of Peter's evangelistic lifestyle. Peter's saying, if you want to be effective in reaching others with the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you want to be a, a, a one who can communicate well and people will listen to you and respond to you as you present the gospel to others, this is the way you have to live. You have to submit to certain things and certain, certain authorities. Now, let me remind you that we never, ever submit to do what is opposing or what is opposite of God's word. If God's word makes it very clear that this is what we do, then we, we disobey anyone who tells us not to obey God's word. But if it's not God's word at play here, like where the paper's stacked, we submit. We do what they tell us to do, okay? And so uh, Peter is saying it's not in opposition to submit to the authorities that God has placed over you. In fact, that's the right thing to do whether it's the government or whether it's your boss or your master, if you will. If we want to be effective communicators of God's word and see God's word change the lives of people, we have to first let it change our lives. Sometimes that's tough, isn't it? I'll admit, sometimes we don't like what it says, but we want to do what God wants us to do. So um, others will see the difference in our life, and then we can communicate what makes that difference in our lives, and they can have that same difference in their lives. That difference, when they see it, is what compels others to become followers of Jesus because they see us being obedient to the commands of our Savior. So the responsibility of the child of God, first of all, we see that there's a call for submission. Now, this word submissive, submissive or submission is the same word that we saw back in verse 13. You'll remember that it is a military term. You'll remember that it is a term that means to put yourself under the command of another, one who is responsible for you or for your outcomes. We voluntarily place ourselves under the authority of another. And like it or not, God has put certain people and certain entities in authority over us. And aren't you glad that God is sovereign? Aren't you glad that God knows what he's doing? You know, we, call, we have these things every four years that we call elections, but God is still in control. It doesn't matter if 10 people turn up to the election or a million people turn up to the election. The one that God has determined will be the one in power is the one who is going to be in power. 
It doesn't matter if you're a dictator. It doesn't matter if you are a king or a queen who has inherited that because of your name or your heritage. God is in control. And if we can't wrap our minds around that, then God will have a hard time using us because we get in the way. So let's not get in the way. Let's, God, let's let God use us. You say, Pastor, how do I submit in these difficult situations? How do I submit when I have a terrible boss? Well, this is how we submit. He says, first of all, with fear. We submit with fear. Look at it. It's right there in the text. Again, I'm not making this stuff up. This is not my, my words. These are the words of the Apostle Peter through the Holy Spirit. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. This word fear, it's a bit different than the word we looked at last week when Peter said we should honor the king and fear God. You might remember that we said last week that the fear we render to God is not just a reverence and awe for the Lord, but it includes worship. We worship God as we fear him. And it's not this idea that we think God is going to strike us dead if we do something wrong. We are in awe and we are in reverence of the one true God. And the more we get to know this one true God that the Bible describes as the creator of the universe, the one who has called us and put us into his family, the one who has sent his son to die in our place on the cross of Calvary, the one who gave everything for us to be, re, re, to be born again. Oh man, the more we get to know him, the more we want to worship him. The more we want to say, yes, God, use me, do whatever you want to do in my life. Please, God, less of me, more of you. Make me more like my Savior. That's not the fear that Peter's talking about when he says uh, that we are to submit to our, our boss or our master with fear. This fear um, that the servant is to have for his master has no concept of worship mixed in with it. It is simply a fear that is generated because of the power of the master and the fact that the master has complete control over your life. Now, not so much in the work world, but in the slave world, the master could do what he wanted to do with the slave. And the boss can tell you what to do, whether you like it or not, and you must submit to his authority. Peter is not equating the master to our Lord and Master Jesus Christ. Peter wants the servant, in our case the employee, to know that the boss, the master, has the right to have certain expectations of their employee of their, or of their servant. And the latter should fulfill those expectations. And if we fail to fulfill those expectations, then there are reasonable consequences for those who do not do what they're supposed to do. I'm not sure about you, but every job that I've had, I've tried to honor and respect my boss. And if I couldn't, I found a different job. Okay? But sometimes God puts us in those places where we have to learn to submit to the authority that is over us. Now, it wasn't just about brown-nosing the boss or sucking up to the boss, if you will, in a more uh, understandable term. Okay? But what it was about was, was respecting the boss and honoring that man or woman who was in charge. And you know what happened as you do that? You know what happens as you do that in your workplace? Your boss is going to come to you and say, you know, what's the difference with you? 
Well, it's going to give you opportunities to talk about Jesus. I've had bosses come to me before and say, hey, hey Tim, I, I know that you're not going to go out with, uh, like, for example, um, I, was, I think I was telling Jim, a Memorial Day weekend in Messina is, is a party weekend for all the high school kids. They all go out to Robert Moses State Park, and they all do things that they shouldn't be doing out there because they're all underage. I never went out there. And so every time, every Memorial Day weekend, I knew I would be on the schedule at my workplace at 9 o'clock in the morning because I was the only high school kid that would be in shape that could go into work on on Saturday morning at 9 o'clock. Didn't like it because I liked Saturday mornings to do other things. But that was my job. And my, and my boss came to me and said, Tim, I, I know I can expect you. I know I can count on you. I know I can trust that you will be here ready to work and to do your best. It wasn't because I wanted to impress Mr. Lang. It was because I knew that that's what God wanted for me in my life. It's been that way for every job that I have ever had. I go in and I do my best, not necessarily for my boss, but for my Savior. But you know what? The boss benefits the boss benefits. So whatever you're doing, and Paul, Paul says this over in Colossians, whatever you do, do it heartily. How? As to the Lord and not to men. So when we're doing it, we're doing it for the Lord, and we're doing it not for ourselves and not for men. And as I said, this gives us opportunity to communicate Christ to others. Why do you work so hard? Well, because it's my responsibility before God to work like that. Peter goes on, he says, not only do we do it in fear, he says, and and not only to the good and the gentle. Peter sheds a bit of light here on life in his time. History indicates that slavery was a common thing in the early church. In fact, probably most of the people that were reading Peter's letter were slaves. And Peter says to them, hey, this is what you have to do. And this is why you have to do it. And this is how you should do it. Not only to the good and the gentle. We, we've discussed this word servant before. But let me add a dimension to our understanding of a servant. This word is not the normal doulos, like a deacon in the New Testament. Okay? But it is oiketes. Okay? This word is translated as a household servant or a domestic servant. These servants ranged from farmers that took care of the owner's field to, their, you know, to doctors. You could have been a doctor and you could have been called on to save the life of your master and you were supposed to do it with the same degree of integrity, with the same earnestness, to the same abilities, uh, the best of your abilities. No matter what your service was, you were to submit to your master. It was certainly easier, Peter is saying, to submit to those masters who were good and gentle. The idea of good here is one that is kind, easygoing, not hard to get along with. Gentle means to be forgiving, indulgent, if you will, when someone makes an error or a mistake. Has the idea to some degree of reasonableness. Okay? Um... When we, were, uh, when we lived in South Africa, we had this guy lived around the corner to us, of us, and uh, his wife was the first person to attend our church. She even attended the, week, the month before it started. Uh, we were to start on, I think it was March 12th. Okay? We were to start our first service on March 12th. She showed up on February 12th at the, at the Boy Scout Hall, where the, 
Wherever we were meeting, the crash, the nursery that we were meeting, she, she showed up there and waited and waited and waited and nobody came and then she went back and read the invitation. Oh, it's, not, it's next month. Okay, so I used to tease you. You were here before anybody else was here. You were the first person ever to come to Grace Baptist Church even when it wasn't here. And so she came on February 12th and we got to build a relationship with her and down through the years we got to lead her husband to Christ. Okay, his name was Ray. Ray's since gone on to be with the Lord. Ray did all of the electrical work at our church when we built it over there. And he comes up to me one day, he'd come up to me often, and he'd put his arm around me and he said, Pastor Tim, he said, I'm appealing to you today as, and he had different, uh, there was PT, which was Pastor Tim, and there were a couple of other T's. He said, I'm coming to you today as RT. RT. Now, this is a new one, Ray. What is RT? He says, reasonable Tim. Reasonable Tim. I said, okay, what is, it, what is it, Ray, that you want to talk about? He said, I think we should have a stained glass window in our church. Okay. I said, where are we going to put it? He said, well, I haven't figured that one out yet. I said, and, and how are we going to pay for it? Well, I haven't figured that one out yet either. But he says, I know you're reasonable, and I know you'll listen to this, and, and I know that you'll consider it. So we thought about it, and we prayed about it, and we talked to other people in the church about it, and finally we decided we would, we would actually put four stained glass windows up in the right corner, left corner, depending on if you're standing at, at the stage or not. Uh, but they were up in the corner of the building, and the sun would shine through. They, they were very nice. Um, but reasonable. I want you to be reasonable. I don't want to just dismiss it out of hand. I don't want you just to tell me I'm crazy and I'm nuts. It's too much money. We can't do it. Think about it. Consider. Be reasonable. And so that's the kind of master that some people had. They were reasonable. They were gentle. They were kind. They were encouraging. They would not give you uh, the whipping that you might deserve if you did something wrong. Okay? They looked at a mistake and they said, everybody makes mistakes. Peter says, don't just submit to that kind of master but also to the harsh. Mm. Really, Peter? Are you serious? You really suspect me to, expect me to do that? The word harsh means one that is unreasonable. One who doesn't take things into consideration. It comes from the Greek word, you'll like this, skolios. Okay? Does that word sound familiar to you? Anybody have scoliosis of the spine? Okay, yeah, I remember in, in, in school, you used to have to go into the nurse's office, and you had to take your shirt off, and you had to bend over and hang your hands down, and they would examine your spine. And one day, the nurse said to me, says, you have scoliosis. I have, I have what? You have scoliosis. So she filled out the paper and sent it home with me, and, you know, that's, that means you have back problems, Okay. The word scoliosis means crooked or twisted, bent out of shape, not what, is, not what it's supposed to be. Scoliosis is a twisted spine. These masters who were harsh, they were twisted. They were warped in their mindset. They didn't care about anybody else. It was used uh, to, to represent somebody who was most likely dishonest, maybe even perverted in the way they did business. Peter says that even if this is the kind of master or boss that you have, you should serve him well by submitting to him or to her. 
So even when we have an unreasonable boss or master, the follower of Jesus is to do their best at all times. You see what Peter's doing here? He's building the context. Last week, we talked about leaders, kings and people who are places of authority who were unreasonable, like Nero the nut. Context of the scripture teaches us a lot. He's saying if we're supposed to submit to unreasonable masters who are mean and perverted and dishonest, the same is true for the government that God has placed over you. You must submit to them. Again, if your master tells you that you have to be an individual who is, uh, when they put something on the scale, you pick up a, a, a fake weight and you put it on the scale and, and it makes it look like there's not as much there, then you don't do that because that's wrong. That's sinful. It's against God's commands. But if your boss just is, is tough to get along with and, and doesn't like it and he practices some of those things and doesn't require you to practice those things, you have to submit. You have to do sometimes the things that are not pleasant in our life to be obedient. I'm of the opinion that the Christian should be the best employee in the company. You know that? Our boss should come up to us and say, hey, is there anybody else at your church that needs a job because I want more just like you? who will work hard, give me everything they got for the eight hours that they're on the clock. You and I, as a child of God, should be the best worker our boss has. Our reputation should be that the master wants more just like us because we're good for their business. We work hard, not for the master, but for the cause of Christ. As we move through our our text this morning, not only do we see the call for submission, but we see the consequences, if you will, of submission. And can I just tell you this? If you're looking down through your note page um, and you're saying, Pastor, you did this wrong because there's only a one and there's no two and there's nothing after, it's okay. We're going to cover two next week. All right. Just thought I'd, I'd throw that out to you. All right. I said to my wife when I was preparing this message, I said, I have a problem. She says, what's the problem? I said, I, I don't have a two for my message this, this week. She's not an outline fan anyway. She, she says, you don't have any problem? I said, no, but I do. Anyway, the consequences of submission. Paul gives us these consequences starting off with verse 19. He says, this is commendable. It's commendable to you. You and I, when we submit to those difficult, harsh masters, as well as to the good and gentle ones, it's commendable. But Peter sets the table for believers and what may be the outcome of our faith or of our convictions. When we do what is right and suffer because of it, this is where our, uh, we commonly would complain. That's not fair. I only did what was right. Not fair. Peter says that we put up with it. In fact, he says you endure it. When we endure grief because of conscience toward God and suffer for it, it is good for us. It will go well for us. I really appreciate the explanation from Ken Weiss in his uh, word studies on the New Testament. He says this when he's talking about conscience toward God. Thus one suffers patiently, not from a conscientious, conscientious sense of duty, but from an inner consciousness of his relation to God and his Son, and to Christ as a joint heir which involves his suffering with him no less than being glorified with him. 
You see, we don't submit to our mean boss or our difficult boss or our uh, unkind master out of a sense of duty, but as a desire to represent our God well. He goes on to say that if we do wrong and suffer for it, if we do wrong and suffer for it, well, we pretty much get what we deserve. We shouldn't complain about it. We should take it as a learning point and say, hey, I need to change that behavior. And even say, thank you for helping me understand that. We shouldn't complain about it. If we suffer for doing right, though, and then it's, and, and we're doing right and we suffer because, hey, why did you do that? Well, because it was the right thing to do. Well, that's not the way we do it around here. And you have to suffer those consequences. Peter says, that is good for you. That is what is seen or credited to us as favor. This word has the idea of grace. And it's the only place that this word is used in Scripture. When you suffer wrongfully for it, it is credited to you. It is seen as grace to you. You gain favor. You might not gain favor with your boss, but you're going to gain favor with God. God is going to say, well done. God is going to say, that is good. That is what you should have done. You represented me well. Here's how the Bible Knowledge Commentary explains this idea of credit, where it says there in verse 19, it is credit to you. It is respectful submission to an undeserved suffering that finds favor with God because such behavior demonstrates His grace. When we suffer in a way that is undeserved, we stop and we think, Hmm, grace. What is grace? You know it, undeserved favor. Boss might not deserve it, but you give it to them anyway. And you gain favor in the sight of God. Here's the thing, we can demonstrate grace in these difficult situations because we have been the recipients of his great grace. It's normal for the unbeliever to respond in a way that says the bo- tells the boss to go pound bricks or pound cement or whatever it is that phrase is. Go Salt, that's it. Go pound salt. That's what the unbeliever says to his boss who treats him unfairly. The believer, he says, okay, let me give it another shot. Okay, let me get it right the next time. Let me go back and, and, and do it right. Do it the way you expect it. You see, it is, it is what leads to commendation. Here's another one. If, you, if your world's not been rocked already, hang on for this one. Peter says, it's our calling. Oh, man. Really? He comes right out and tells us, we have been called to this type of treatment. In other words, we should expect it. Why, Peter? Well, Peter says, I'll tell you why. That's the way Jesus was treated. You see, Jesus set a great example for us so we know how we should behave. Remember our calling as believers? Somebody tell what as a child of God, what have we been called to? Good works? Glorify God? Okay, what are all of these things? We have been called to... Christ-likeness. We are to become more like our Savior with each passing day. And all of those things that you mentioned, 
are things that Christ emanated, Christ demonstrated while he was here on earth. We have been called to become like our Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Jesus suffered unjustly, didn't he? Jesus suffered unfairly. Jesus, when he preached truth and taught truth and told people how to live life, they told him that it was unfair. And he suffered for it. You know what? The Apostle Paul suffered unjustly. He was arrested. He was thrown in prison. He was beaten. He was uh, shipped off to Rome to stand trial in Rome and suffered shipwrecks. He was left for dead. He was stoned. Think of Stephen, who is preaching God's word, and all of a sudden he says, And you men of Galilee, you have mistreated the Messiah. You have stoned him. You put him to death. Shame on you. And they grabbed him, and they dragged him outside the city gates, and they threw stones at him, and they killed him. And as he's looking up into heaven, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And, and he died. Did he deserve to die? No. Peter, tradition tells us he was crucified upside down because he would not submit to the rules and the ways of the government that told him to go against God's ways. You see, there is a time when we don't submit. But when it's possible, we do. Came to a point in Peter's life where the government told him to stop preaching, stop teaching, stop obeying the word of God, and and, and don't live that way. And Peter says, sorry, I can't do that. Not going to do that. Won't do that. Okay, we're going to kill you. So be it. Peter died as a martyr. But remember our calling as believers. We're called to be like Christ. Christ is the ultimate example of one who suffered, and he suffered greatly for doing what was right. He came to earth to provide reconciliation for man to God. He came to do what was right and best for mankind. And in the process, as was God's plan for reconciliation, he suffered to the point of death to make it possible for you and I to be made right with our great God. You know, there's a lot of talk today about the greater good. There is no greater good than what Jesus Christ did for mankind. There's nothing more good, sorry, there's nothing greater than that. Our calling to suffer, if need be, so that others can also be saved and grow in Christ-likeness. That's what you guys and I, that's what we live for, or we should be living for, so that others can know Jesus as their personal Savior. This unjust suffering, it also demonstrates our Christ-likeness. Peter goes on to explain how Jesus suffered and how you and I can expect to suffer as he did. He said, you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. He committed no sin, and there was no deceit. In other words, he was not vengeful. Peter says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. This word has the idea of insulting and making a mockery of, ridiculing, to scorn or to make a spectacle of someone. I think the most, most poignant example of this was around the time of Jesus' death. When he was ridiculed, he was mocked, he was scorned. In Matthew 26, during one of his fake trials, we read this. The high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. 
like he even knew what blasphemy was. But anyway, the high priest uttered, he says, he has uttered blasphemy, talking to the crowd and talking to the other religious leaders. What is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. (coughs) Then, here it is, they spit in his face and they struck him. And some slapped him, saying, prophesy to us, you Christ, who is that who struck you? Then again, we see more in, verse 20, in chapter 27. The soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him and they put on a scarlet robe upon him and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his hand and kneeling in mockery, my addition, before him, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit upon him and took the reed and struck him on the head. Do you know what? Getting spit on is like the most, one of the most vile things. Who wants to get spit on, right? I mean, what is our normal response or reaction when somebody spits on us? Wipe it off, but you know what you do? You're, you're going to enact some kind of revenge on them. That's going to be your, you know, you're going to reach out, slap them, or spit back at them, or whatever. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. This, of course, is spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he wrote, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb led to his slaughter, and a sheep before his shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus was not vengeful. We also see that he was not vindictive. Peter says when he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to the one who judges righteously. Offering yet another example for us, even though he had done no wrong, Even though he was completely innocent, he did not threaten to get even or to suggest that he would get even or that he would set the record straight. Remember what he said to Peter when Peter had drawn his sword and was ready to take on the whole crowd that came with Judas? I mean, in fact, Peter even took out his sword and cut off Malchus's ear. And Jesus said, don't. He says, do you not think I could not appeal to my Father who is in heaven and he will at once send more than 12 legions of angels? And can I tell you this? If those legions of angels were to come, it wasn't coming for a party. It wasn't coming for rejoicing. It was coming to wreak havoc and judgment on people. He used a military term. He said, I could have called 12 legions of angels. Those are warriors. And when the warriors come, the warriors of God come in angelic form, you ain't going to do nothing to stop them. Peter says, I could, or Jesus said, I could call 12 legions, 12,000 legions of angels. A legion is made up of more than 6,000 fighters for battle and support personnel. Multiply 6,000 times 12,000, you get the idea. What did Jesus do, though? He submitted. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus submitted to the Father, the will of the Father, 
again, setting an amazing example for us. So we're not vengeful, we're not vindictive, but look, Peter doesn't end there. He says, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you are healed. Woo! Hallelujah! Victory is ours. We're not vengeful, we're not vindictive, but we know that victory has been secured. What an exchange. My sins for his righteousness. We were bound in sin. Jesus taught this himself. He said over in John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, can I tell you again how important the word of God is? It's not about what I think, or you think, or anybody else thinks. It's about the word of God. When we can wrap our minds around what God's word says through the inspiration and the teaching of the Holy Spirit, we'll get it right. And God will use us. To those who have believed in him, the Jews, he said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. And what will happen? The truth will set you free. They answered him. (laughs) They're talking to Jesus now, okay? The creator of the world. (laughs) You know what? We are offspring of Abraham, and, you have ne- and we have never been enslaved to anyone. You know what they did? They rewrote history. Come on, people. You can't tell me that the Jews were never enslaved to anybody. They absolutely were. But you see, they translated the history to fit their own preference. We're the children of Abraham. We've never been enslaved. Oh, yeah? What was Egypt? Oh, yeah? Where are you now? Who's ruling over you? Rome. And it wasn't going to get any better, by the way. You have been enslaved. Jesus answered to them. He didn't address their misunderstanding or misrepresentation. of He simply answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son, if Jesus sets you free, you will be free indeed. So as we think about this concept of submission and how difficult it might be for us to wrap our minds around it, and we struggle with it, and I agree we do. The struggle is real. But you know why it's real? It's because we battle the old nature. The old nature is still very much a part of our lives. But it will be helpful for us in this battle and in this struggle if we remind ourselves that as we submit to those entities that we might not want to submit to, like the ones we talked about last week, the governing authorities, especially when they're contrary to what we think or what we want, And to the masters or the boss that is unkind and unfair. When we are submitting, we aren't doing it just because it's what we have to do. But we're doing it because that is what we have been called by God to do in our lives. And we are ultimately following the example of Jesus. By submitting to those he has placed in authority over us. Can I tell you, last week after I preached the message... I went home, I was wiped out. 
Tough to preach. I'm probably going to go home and take a nap today too. You know what? God calls us to submit. And if we don't want to do it, it's not because he hasn't called us to it, but it's because of our stinking pride that gets in the way. And God has called us to place ourselves under the authority of others as long as they don't call us to disobey him. That's where we are. I'm sorry if you don't like it. Don't get mad at me. Don't write me nasty letters. (laughs) But go to the book and let the book straighten it out for you. Let God teach you not with your opinions, not with your preconceived ideas, but let God teach you through His Holy Spirit what the Word of God says. So our title this morning is, That's Not Fair! And when we think about submitting to the unfair boss, or in the context of the original readers, the household servant submitting to the master who makes life difficult, and we're tempted to utter and complain, that's not fair, we must remember the command to submit. It comes from God doesn't come from Peter, who was probably better at giving you that advice than I am. But it comes from God. God's commanded us to submit. Not to be some mamby-pamby wimp or something less than a rough and tough go-getter. But he has compelled us to be true servants and followers of the living stone who finds who in we, we find in him our strength and our purpose. Our submission to those that God has placed over us, it brings glory to him. It honors him. When we strive to lead, live like that and to lead others into a relationship with Christ, they're going to look at our life and see if it measures up to what Christ's life measured up. And let me end with this reminder That a soldier, James gave it to us, a soldier does not entangle himself with the affairs of this world. Satan wants us to get focused on what's happening in our world and, and cause division and cause strife. Don't get entangled in the affairs of this world. But what does he do? What does the soldier do? He has the mindset to go into battle. And he trusts God for the wisdom on which hills to battle on and which ones not to. Our mindset must be one of that which focuses on our great God. Following his example. Following the example of Christ. Submitting to his authorities. And the leadership he has placed over me. Perhaps a song that we are working on to sing as a congregation may help us with that mindset. Barry, stay seated, okay? But let me remind you of these words that we are going to sing sometime very soon on a Sunday morning. My, his robes for mine. The words go like this. It is hard to fathom that I am clothed in Christ's righteousness and thus treated by God as his beloved son in whom he is well pleased. It is even harder to fathom that Christ has clothed, was clothed in my filthy rags and all those of all humanity and thus treated by God as an enemy how can that be? How can the fact that Jesus took his, my sins upon himself and God treated Jesus as an enemy for me because of me? Oh, that's tough to fathom. That's tough to wrap our minds around. You want to have something to wrap your mind around? Think about that. Don't think about it's not fair. That's not fair. That 
God took the sins of mankind and placed them on his son. How unfair does it get? Nothing more unfair than that. His robes for mine. It's even harder to fathom that Christ was clothed in my filthy rags and those of all humanity and thus treated by God as an enemy. How can that be? His robes for mine. Oh, wonderful exchange. Clothed in my sin, Christ suffered neath God's rage. Draped in his righteousness, I'm justified. Hallelujah. In Christ I live, for in my place he died. I cling to Christ and marvel at the cost. Jesus forsaken. God, get this, God estranged from God. Jesus forsaken. God estranged from God. Bought by such love. My life is not my own. My praise, my all, shall be for Christ alone. His robes for mine. What cause have I for dread? God's daunting law, Christ mastered in my stead. Faultless I stand with righteous works not mine, saved by my Lord's vicarious death and life. His robes for mine, God's justice is appeased. Jesus is crushed and thus the Father's pleased. Christ drank God's wrath on sin, then cried, "'Tis done!" Sin's wage is paid, propitiation won. His robes for mine, such anguish none can know. Christ, God's beloved, Condemned as though his foe. He as though I accursed and left alone. I as though he embraced and welcomed home. Wow. It's not fair that Jesus gets my sin and has to bear the wrath of God in my place and I get his righteousness. God has called us to this kind of a life. He has given us all we need to live this kind of a life. And as we submit to the scriptures and we submit to his plan for our lives, we'll understand what it means to become more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, we come before you today. Yes, we've talked about some difficult things again today. Some things that are Hard to do. They go against the very nature of man. But help us to remember that that nature of man is is actually a sin-cursed nature. That's why we call it the old nature. And we have to try and live in the new nature. And we're so thankful that you've given us all that we are all that we ever will need in the pages of Scripture to live in the new nature. We've been told by the Apostle Paul that we are new creatures in Christ. The old things are passing away. And they will continue to pass away unless we keep bringing them up. But Father, help us to be mindful of the fact that we are called to be new creatures in Christ. The old has passed away and all things, hallelujah, are becoming new in our lives. Help us to keep feeding that new nature. Help us to keep letting the word of God transform our lives from the inside out. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.